Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. I love my whiteboard. All right, so Hebrews 12. Um, the context, I say this just about every time, the context of Hebrews is the writer is a pastor and he's writing to a congregation of Jewish Christians who are suffering. They're going through immense suffering. And you know this about your own life. If suffering is for a short moment, usually we can handle it pretty easily. We can move on. But the problem is if suffering just goes on and on and on, it can get very discouraging and bad things can start to happen. We can start to just give up and, and give up on ourselves and give up on God and all these just terrible things can happen like that. And that's what the writer to Hebrews is addressing. So the context of Hebrews 12 is we finished up Hebrews 11 and 12 comes after 11 and in Hebrews 11, there is, it's about the hall of faith, right? It's about all these heroes of the faith. And what the writer's been doing is giving these examples of people who have remained faithful to God, remained during the midst of suffering. So the way that I picture this is this hall, this corridor of faith. So imagine you're walking down like in a big museum and there's a big corridor of faith, right? And so you go down the corridor and on this is a painting of these heroes of the faith. There's Abel and there's whatever, Abraham, who's leaving his country to go to a different place. And then you see Abraham offering his son Isaac by faith. And then we see Moses, who is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. And then we see, you know, the rest of them, David and Samson. He, he, so we're going down this corridor and seeing all these paintings or visual illustrations of the people of God who have remained faithful. And one of the things that I tried to stress in Hebrews chapter 11 is there are great victories that we see by faith. But there's also great suffering. So there are people like, mentioned somebody that has been sawn in two, and I think that's Isaiah. So he was faithful in suffering all the way to the end. So this is, not, in fact, the prosperity gospel people hate the end of Hebrews because it talks about, by faith, suffering immensely, right? Enduring while suffering. So what we see is, again, we, there are great victories and there are great sufferings, and by faith, God's people go through both, right? That they remain. And this is the way our lives are. Most people will experience times of tremendous victory. If you live long enough, you'll experience times of victory and joy, but you'll also experience times of tremendous suffering and sorrow. And that's just the way life is. And God has called us in the midst of this to endure. We're called to persevere. And that's a huge part of the book of Hebrews. And we're going to see this again in Hebrews chapter 12 that God calls us to remain faithful to Jesus Christ in the midst of suffering, we're called to endure and keep fighting the faith, keep running the race. That's what we'll see today. All right, so Hebrews 12, we're just gonna go through the first four verses today. And the outline is sort of this. My main the, there are just really two big points, okay, to this section, I think. There are, one is, there are two commands or encouragements, okay? Two commands and it's, Set aside every weight and sin. That's number one, set aside every weight and sin. We'll talk about that. And two is run with endurance the race set before us. Okay? So those are the two commands or encouragements. Set aside every weight and sin. 
run with endurance the race set before us. That's the goal. And then the second part is their motivations to set it aside and run. That's the title of my sermon, by the way, set it aside and run. Two motivations for this. One is simply we look at faithful witnesses, and one is we look to Jesus. Okay? So those are the motivations for that. So let's read Hebrews 12, 1 to 4, and then we'll, we'll uh, go through it. All right, Hebrews 12, 1 to 4. Therefore, so he's given this hall of faith, corridor of faith, all these great witnesses, right, of the faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay, I'm going to actually start with verse 4 and just briefly touch on it because this is the context of these Jewish Christians. What he's saying to them when he says, he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. He's simply saying that right now, no one in the church has been killed. They've been, not been martyred. They have had their property stolen. They've been, people have been imprisoned. They're suffering, but no one's been martyred yet. Okay, so that's the context. And remember, he's comparing their situation to Jesus. Well, Jesus suffered and endured all the way through the cross, all the way to death. Okay, so he gave his own blood. So that's the context of what he's saying. All right, let's look at verse 1. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, this is what God is calling us to do. But no, notice this phrase, if you, if you shorten it up, it's essentially run the race before us. Run the race before us. This is a picture of the Christian life. The Christian life is compared to a race. But in our day, we think of race, we think of winning, right? We, we think of beating everybody else and, and finishing first. Really what he's talking about more is, is just finishing. It's more of a journey or a pilgrimage. In fact, I'm glad we're going through Pilgrim's Progress in small groups because that's what life is. It's a pilgrimage. It's starting at birth and finishing all the way to the end, to death. It's a dangerous journey, as the kids' version has, okay? So that's what this is. And so it's, it's this journey, along this journey of our lives, there are obstacles and there are enemies. It's like a military campaign. We have enemies fighting against us. So the, the picture is this journey, and it's like a battle through enemy lines, and it's to get to the completed goal, to reach the objective. And the objective is simply making it all the way through by faith, following Christ along this journey all the way until the end of the journey. And the final destination is God himself, right? It's being with God. It's heaven. It's resurrection life to come. That's the goal. That's the end. So the goal, again, is to complete this journey by following Christ and remaining faithful and enduring. And here's the amazing thing. We see this in verse 2. We're following Christ, but he has already completed this journey. He's already blazed the path through enemy territory. He's already done the work of making a way to God. We could not make a way to God on our own because of our sin. But, but Jesus has made this way. 
And he's done. He's completed it. That's why it says he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Many times in Hebrews, it's talk about Jesus has finished the work and he sat down as our high priest. Okay? So he's completed the journey. He, he's the captain. Another way you can think of it in military terms, he's the captain. He's the trailblazer. He's the one who has cleared the way for us. So if you look at verse 2, that, that, that's implied in, the, in these words in verse 2. I'm going to give you a bunch of Greek words today just because I think it was fun. And we'll look at it in a second. But look at verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That word perfecter. So it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter. That word perfecter. That's a strange word for us. But the Greek has this word within it, this word telos, which means goal. We've talked about this quite a bit. So goal or endpoint. So it means Jesus, the perfecter, has been the one who's already completed the goal. He's completed the telos. He's completed the, the objective. Okay? That word founder, when it says Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and, per, per, and perfecter of our faith, that word founder has this word arch in it, A-R-C-H, like it's archagon, okay? So arch, if you know that word, like think about archbishop or arch enemy or archangel, it means first, okay? So the word is archagon, it's really first like leader, okay? So Jesus is the leader, the captain, as I said, who has already blazed the trail and made the way to God. So through all the barriers of sin and death and hell and, and Satan and demons, Jesus is the first leader, the captain, the trailblazer who has made a way to God. It was impossible for us to get to God, as I said, because of the barrier of our sin, because of our enemies who are stronger than us. It's impossible to get to God. You cannot make that path on your own. So there is no way to God, right, except through Jesus. He's the only way. It's impossible to get to God except you follow Jesus. But Jesus, as our captain and also as our great high priest, that's what the book of Hebrews is about. Jesus, as our high priest, has made a way through sin by offering the perfect sacrifice. And the perfect sacrifice was himself. He's not only the priest, he is the sacrifice. And so Jesus laid down his life. He went to the cross and laid down his life. And in that moment... He took upon himself all the sin and judgment of us, right? The, the judgment that should have come to us. And therefore, now there's no condemnation hanging over us. And now, therefore, we have a way to God. So he has blazed a trail to God. So he's the one who's, he's the captain. He's perfecter. He's completed the goal. He's the trailblazer, right? To, to meet the telos, the goal of God. And now we're called to follow him on that path to the Father, Okay. He's already made the journey. He's completed all the work. That's why, again, it says he's, seated, he's sitting down in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And again, we don't, the great news is this. We don't have to defeat sin and death and hell, right? We don't have to do that. We can't, but Jesus has already done it. So our job is to be faithful and to endure, to endure trials and suffering as we go on this dangerous journey, all right? So the question is, we're simply called to follow Jesus. The question is, how? How do we do that? Because it's discouraging. Many times it's discouraging. It's hard. 
It's an uphill climb. If you think about all the metaphors of, of on a journey, it's an uphill climb. It's a rocky, stony path, right? There are briars. There are enemies. There are dark, dark valleys where you cannot see one foot and you can't see anywhere except, you know, not even a foot in front of you because it's so dark in your life. Just all the metaphors that you think about on a journey, it's hard. And so the question is, how can we remain faithful and endure? And that's what the writer gives us here, these two commands or encouragements that he gives us. So the first one is set aside or lay aside every weight and sin. And then the second encouragement is, again, run with endurance the race that's set before us. I'm going to talk about both of those. So first he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now it says weight and sin. I think these are two different things here. They're related, but, but I think they're slightly different. Well, I'm going to talk about that. So first he says, lay aside every sin. It's easy to see the need to lay aside sin, right? Sin, sinful habits, we use the metaphor of trip you up. They will make you fall. Right? So on this journey, sin is like, like vines grabbing onto your legs, and they will not allow you to continue in your progress of following Jesus. They'll trip you up. And I could start listing, so we're called to lay aside these things. And I could start listing sinful things, but honestly, you know what they are. And here, God is telling us, really, to do some self-examination and lay those sinful things aside. So what I'm asking, I know this is tough, Especially when they become habits. I know it's tough, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can grow in holiness. We really can. Change is possible by the power of God, by the grace of God. So if you think about that chart that I put up, if you've seen any of the sermons for the last three weeks about thoughts and emotions and growth and behavior, fixing our thoughts, honestly, fixing our thoughts on God, on Christ, on his truth, by his power and grace when we think about what Jesus has done for us, all these things, by setting our minds on God's truth. I'm not just up here talking about this stuff. I really want you to do it, okay? So when Paul says set your minds on things above, he's not joking. He means for you to actually do that and that you'll see the payoff in your life. You'll see the payoff in growth and holiness and you'll see the payoff in your own heart, in your emotions. That's what I've been trying to show again for the past few weeks. So we set those things aside and God will grow us. We can't grow ourselves, right? We can, we can create the environment. It's like a garden. You can't grow plants, but you can create an environment to make where growth is really possible, right? Or if you have a wound, if you have a wound, a doctor fixes you up, the doctor can't grow cells to heal you up, right? All he can do is create an environment where you, by God's grace, you can do the healing. Your body does the healing. That's the way God has made us. It's the same with God's growth. We trust him, we do what he tells us, we try to cultivate a good environment for our souls to grow, and then we watch. We, we do our part, fix our minds on Jesus, and then we watch and he gives us the growth, okay? So think about that. Think about sinful things in your lives. You know you're doing them still. Think about those. Think about that whole thing about thoughts and emotions and all that. I really want you to think about setting aside those things, okay? All right, he, so he tells us to set aside those sins. He also tells us to set aside or lay aside every weight. And I do think this is different. Let's say you're going on a hike on the Appalachian Trail for three weeks or whatever. You don't want to be packed down with a bunch of stuff. You want to pack light for this journey. 
I got a friend, he's been a scout leader for a long time, and he said, inevitably, when little kids come, their moms or dads pack them down with like 20 cans of stuff when they go on a trip, you know? So their backpack is just filled up with 30 pounds, these little 10-year-old kids with just canned goods all, all in their back. They're not going to make a journey that way, okay? So that's what God is telling us here, that we've got to pack light. We've got to set aside every weight that will, will hinder us. And what does that mean? Well, I think it means this. I think it means that these things may not necessarily be sinful in and of themselves, but you know that God wants you to get rid of them for the good of your soul, okay? There are just things that, that, in fact, they may be okay for other people, but you know that they're not good for you. And God wants you to set them aside as you follow Christ on this pilgrimage. So it could be habits. This is where it gets hard, but it could be habits, patterns of thought, whatever, Again, they may not be sinful, but you know that you need to lay them aside. It could be hobbies or things that distract you or things that are just total waste of time, and you know that they're not good for you. Again, they may not be sinful, but you know they're not good for you. Could be, could be thought patterns. I've been talking a lot about thoughts. It could be thought patterns like you have doom and gloom thoughts or you predict bad things for yourself, right? And you, need, you know you need to break that cycle. That is a weight that is weighing you down. You know you need to break that cycle. Or your automatic reflex could be under stress. You eat or scroll through social media or whatever. You do something. You know it's a pattern. Again, is eating or scrolling through social media evil or sinful? No, but you know it is a pattern that is not good for you. And you need to ask God to, to help you lay aside that weight. Okay? So anything, just... I don't need to list a whole bunch, but you can think about things that you know may give you a little bit of excitement or fun or whatever, but they're just not good for you. And you know you need to lay that aside because it's a weight. So again, I'm asking you just to spend some time with the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to you in your life, to examine yourself in this life and to set those things aside. All right, so first command or encouragement is to set aside or lay aside every weight and sin, all right? The next commandment or, or, or encouragement is to run with endurance. That's what it says in verse one. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We've talked about this word endurance a lot. I'll give you another Greek on this. It's this Greek word, hupomone. And in this little passage, we see it three times. In verse one, endurance. Look at verse two, it says endured, endured the cross. In verse three, endured. Endured from sinners. So this Greek word, hupomone, it shows up over and over again in the book of Hebrews. Right here, it's three times in these four verses. So hupo is, it means under. It's like hypo. So hypo, like it's under or below, like hypodermic. A hypodermic needle is one that goes below. Derm is the skin, right? So hypo is below. So hypo or hupo is below or under. And hupomone, mone is remaining or staying. So this word endurance means remaining under or staying under, okay? So the, the, the picture is as God enables us, we want to patiently remain under the challenges that come our way and remain faithful in that. So it's like this weight on top of you. We talked about weights, but this is like a weight that God, a burden that God has given you, but you're going to remain steadfast under that, patiently waiting on God as you're under that burden. So in God's providence, he brings trials. We'll see in, in Hebrews 12, 
that these trials and burdens are from our Father who loves us and they're good for us, okay? So God brings trials, he brings burdens, and that's, not, that's one of the reasons why we need to lay aside any other weight, right? We don't want to add burdens. God gives us enough burdens that, for our good. So we don't need to add those weights to ourselves, okay? God gets to decide how much burden we need to carry, which is good for. That's why we don't need to add additional ones to it. Greg mentioned this in one of his sermons in Galatians. In Galatians 6, 5, it says this, for each will have to bear his own load. So each one of us has to carry our own backpack, right, of daily burdens. And some of us need to hear that. Sometimes you just got to, you just got to carry your own burdens sometimes. We can't just lay around and just complain about the burdens that we have. Sometimes we've got to toughen up and just carry the burdens that we have. So we're called to endure, to hupomone, to remain under those. And God will give us the strength to do that. That's what he's telling us here. But also being part of the church, the family of God, means helping our church family carry burdens that are too much for them. And Greg mentioned that in Galatians 6.2. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is why the Lord has given us each other. So when a brother or sister in Christ is under a heavy burden, we're called to help carry that burden. This is how we show love to each other in the family of God. We help bear one another's burdens. Okay? And by the way, I know this goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. WCC family, you know your church is going to take care of you, right? Like, like you know you're not, you or your kids are not going to go without shelter or food or whatever, clothing. This church is going to take care of you. So we are not going to allow one another to suffer. We're going to care for one another. Again, I know that goes without saying, but sometimes we can get in a bad spot and say, gosh, I'm not going to have a house. I'm not going to have clothes. I'm not going to be able to feed my family. No, if you're trying to provide for your family, this church is going to take care of you. As I said, I know it goes without saying, but that's what we're going to do. All right, so we, gotta, we, we, we help one another's burdens. At the same time, as I said, we've got, a, we've got our own backpack of burdens And here in Hebrews 12, God is telling us as we run this race, as we seek to remain faithful to the Lord under this, we're going to endure. We're going to remain steadfast, faithful in carrying the burdens that God has allotted to us. And we endure. We hupomone as we patiently bear these burdens, okay? And by God's grace and his love and strength, we will persevere. We will. By faith, we will endure. Okay? We don't have to worry about it. We will do this. And this has big, big implications for us. I mentioned last week, two, two words, honestly, I think that can change your life is this. Embrace hardships. Just embrace hardships. That is what God is calling us to do here. We're not going to run from every hardship. Our, our goal in life is not to have the easiest possible life ever. The goal in life, goal in life should, you should not spend all your time thinking about how you can have a life of leisure and pleasure. That's not what God has called us to do. And we're not going to be afraid of trials. We're not going to be afraid of trials. When hardships come, we can embrace them. So embrace hardships, okay? So we can, we can hupomone. We can patiently bear under these difficulties that God allots to us. And again, along the way, we're going to help our brothers and sisters to carry burdens that are just really tough. All right, notice this in verse 1. I think this is so important. Verse 1, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay? The race, the journey that God has set before us. Another way you could say it, the race, the journey that God has set before you. 
the race, the journey that God has set before me. I have my race. You have your race, right? I have my journey that God has given me. You have your journey that God has given you. And you're not supposed to worry about or be jealous of someone else's race, right? A lot of times we want to look around and see other people, what's going on in their lives. And and our tendency is to covet and be jealous and wish that was our journey and our race. That's not your journey. That's not your race. This is the race that is set before us. God has set this race before us. God says, no, this is the life that I've given to you. Don't compare your race to their race, their journey. Don't compare your journey to their journey. God gets to decide the journey that we take. He gets to decide the pilgrimage that we take. We don't need to be looking around constantly and being angry that our journey seems to be harder than someone else's journey, okay? That, That is not a healthy way to have a woe is me attitude that my journey, my race is so hard and I look around at other people and it seems easy. One, you don't know what other people are going through. That's, that's a fact. You may think that your race is really hard and then you start digging in. One of the great things about being a pastor is I begin learning. I can look around this room and almost everybody that I know, I know that there are terrible things that they've gone through or they're going through now. So one, you don't know the journey that, that people go on. But even if you're going through a difficult time, it's, it's your journey. God has decided that this is your journey and praise him for it, right? This is, this is what it means to live by faith. Because we must trust, we must trust that our Heavenly Father knows what He's doing. Okay? He knows what He's doing. He has good reasons for giving me the journey that He's put me on. Our job is simply to be faithful. All right. And we know that He does this out of love. The Father loves us. That's why He does this. All right. So, on this journey of following Jesus, we're called to lay aside every sin which clings so closely and every weight. And to run with endurance the race that is set before us by faith. This is what we're called to do. Okay, so those are the two commands. Set aside the weights and sins and run with endurance. Now the question is, how do we do this? What is the motivation for doing this? Because it's hard. It's hard. In the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, in the moment, you get the big word existentially, existentially, it is really hard in the moment, right? One of the things that just as an aside that I want you to, that I want you to think about with the whole thoughts and emotions sermon uh, is this. It is that you are making a huge stride if, if this happens in your life. If you think, if you used to think this, I'm a loser or I'm not good enough, okay? If, if that's the pattern that, or anything else, let's say, let's say I'm not good enough. Here's a huge stride in, in growing is to have this thought instead. And think about the difference here. Have this thought. Instead of, I'm not good enough, here's the thought. I'm having the thought that I'm not good enough. You see the difference? That's that whole separation thing. You, it, it's a, that is a big step because you're able to separate from it, and that's the way we can really grow, and, and it helps us to motivate. I'm having the thought that I'm a loser. I'm not actually a loser, but I'm having this thought, okay? That is a major step if you can start separating like that. And then, you, again, you can set your mind on different things. And, and the two commands today, I mean, the two motivations today are setting your minds on something. Okay? That's what he's going to tell us to do. To endure, one of the things we need to do is to set our minds, to start thinking about something else. And that's what God, again, is telling us here in 
Hebrews 12. And the two things that he wants us to, to set our minds on to motivate us to endure are, are this, to, to set our minds on one, looking at faithful witnesses, and then the other is looking to Jesus. Okay, so look, look at verse one. He says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. He doesn't specifically say to think about the witnesses, but he says, since we're surrounded by so, so great a cloud of witnesses, to think about them. Now remember the context, the previous chapter is the hall of faith, this long corridor of paintings where we remember the saints of old, okay? They remain faithful to God both in good times and in bad times. And the writer's saying, since we're surrounded by this history of faithful witness, then we can, we can run the race with endurance. They, they did it. They survived terribly, Right? They endured, they remained faithful to God in the midst of incredible suffering. That means I could do it. And that's what God is calling us to, to think about. Now, I do want to say this. There's a common misunderstanding of this phrase, cloud of witnesses. There's a common view about this verse that it says this, that like there are these witnesses and they're up in the clouds, they're up in heaven, and they're witnesses, they're witnessing me. They're watching me. Okay, that's the common misunderstanding. I don't think that that's what the writer is saying at all. And I don't think the context supports that at all. One, the Greek word for cloud, off, back then they often used that word cloud to talk about a crowd or a multitude. We don't talk that way. But they meant just a, cloud, a crowd of people, right? So a multitude of witnesses. Also, again, the context of Hebrews 11, what are they witnesses to? They're not witnessing me, right? They're witnesses Two, in, in chapter 11, what are they witnesses to? They're witnesses to the faithfulness of God. They're witnesses to the goodness of God. In fact, the Greek word for witness is, anybody know it? Martyr, martyr, okay? So by their faith, they died witnessing to, giving testimony to the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, okay? So the, the, in the, even in the midst of suffering and persecution, persecution they were they were faithful so when it talks about this cloud of witnesses it means again these heroes of the faith in chapter 11 who were witnesses to God's faithfulness his goodness you can also think about a trial so I'm a lawyer so I think about trials if you have witnesses they give testimony right so if you imagine a, a trial in a courtroom and they call up the witness to the stand you know and they do you solemnly swear to tell the truth the whole truth nothing but the truth so help me God so they do that they sit down and then they start, what do they start doing? They start talking about something that they have eyewitnessed. Now notice that when the witness comes up to the stand and he's there, is his job to witness people in the courtroom? Is his job to stare around and look at everybody in the courtroom? That's not what he's witnessing. He's an eyewitness to something that has already happened and he's testifying about it, okay? So that's what a witness does. So this great cloud of witnesses, they're not watching us they have already witnessed, seen their eyewitnesses to the goodness of God and by their lives they've testified to his faithfulness, okay? So that's what it means by the cloud of witnesses. So it says, when it says that, this is now a motivation for us. So we're to lay aside every weight and sin, run with endurance, and one motivation for doing that, and I think it's incredibly helpful, is for us to think about, remember, think, set your minds, think, and remember that throughout history, there have been countless people who have, even though they've suffered, they have remained faithful to God. 
Okay? That is a big help in the midst of suffering. When we're going through trials, we can fix our minds on the fact that there's this huge multitude, this huge cloud of eyewitnesses to God's love and goodness, and they were able to remain faithful even through unbelievable suffering. And, and, if, and we should think, hey, if they could make it through, by God's grace, I'm going to make it through. So that's what the passage means. So we can look back, like to Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, we can look back through, through Christian history. I think this is why studying church history can be very helpful. Uh, you can pick out one like hero of the faith, one missionary, somebody that suffered, and you can learn about that person. Take, take some time to learn about a few people in church history, right? And, and you can think about that person. Claire loves Corey Ten Boom. Man, take Corey Ten Boom and learn about her, right? You can take people who are, who are faithful missionaries, pastors, leaders, just faithful Christians, and that can encourage you. They went through suffering. God was faithful to them, and I can do the same thing, okay? I would say this too. I think this whole cloud of witnesses is not just for people in the past. I think it's for people around us. I can look around this room and see lots of people who are suffering immensely right now and they're remaining faithful to Jesus. You know what? That is a massive encouragement to me personally. I think about you guys and what you're going through and how you're remaining faithful and it motivates me to be faithful and to draw near to the Lord, okay? So that's another reason to learn about your, your fellow church members, be in small group or whatever, just to learn and, and hear people's burdens. Whether it's, I, I could go through a huge list, health stuff, people close to death, financial job, family, marriage, kids walking away from the faith when they grow up, grandkids suffering, whatever. I can look around you guys and see the suffering that you're going through in this room. And you're remaining faithful to Christ. And that is a massive encouragement to me. Okay? So that's one motivation. He talks about the cloud of witnesses. What's the second one? So we, one, we look to the cloud of witnesses. The second one is we look to Jesus. And this is not just the Sunday school answer. This is actually fixing your mind on what Jesus did, when he went, what he went through, what he endured. Right? It says set your minds on Jesus. Look at it again. Look at verse uh, 3. It says, consider him. It's talking about Jesus. In other words, think about him. Set your minds on him. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. He endured that. And then he says, why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You can think about what Jesus did and what he went through. He, he, Jesus, yes, he's God. And you may say, well, he's God. Of course he did. Yeah, but Jesus is also fully man. He's a real man. He still is a man. And in his humanity, he went through terrible suffering and he remained faithful, okay? So again, the writer is saying one way we can combat discouragement and to endure is to consider Jesus, to set your mind on Christ. If you're growing weary or faint-hearted, as it says here, and you need to endure, you need to hupomone, think about Christ who also endured. He also hupomone, right? If we're going to make it into English. Jesus endured hostility. He hupomoned hostility from sinners and he endured it all the way to the cross. And by his grace, we can endure too, okay? So Jesus is, is uh, the one who perseveres. He endured. He is the forerunner. He's the captain who blazed the trail and we constantly look to him. We follow him. Now look at verse two. There, this is a beautiful description about what Jesus did for us. 
And I've thought about that a lot this week, and I, I want you to really ponder this as well. Verse 2, it says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One of the things you should notice is look at the parallels here. I would encourage you to underline something. Look at verse 1. It said, notice what it says in verse 1, let us run with endurance. You can underline endurance. The race that is set before us. I would underline set before us, okay? Endurance set before us. Now look at verse 2. Notice the parallel. For the joy that was set before him. You can underline set before him. What? Endured. You can underline endured. Endured, set before, endured, set before. Okay? So, remember verse 1, let us endure. Hupamone, remain under these trials as we go forward in our journey of following God. The journey that God has set before us, endured, set before. And one of the ways we endure is we look to Jesus who endured, endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. You see it? Endured, set before, endured, set before. The writer's doing a wonderful job of creating a parallelism here. All right, when it says that Jesus despised the shame of the cross, I didn't know what that meant when I first read it. I struggled with it. But again, I think the, the Greek word helped me here. Another Greek word. I think this is a record for me. Uh, Greek word is kataphroneo. Kataphroneo, okay? Kata is down. Like catabolic, right? Catabolic means to break down complex molecules. Anabolic means to build up complex molecules. So cata is down. Catastrophic is a breaking down, okay? So cata is down. Froneo is thinking. So that word despise, Jesus despised the shame of the cross. He cataphroneo. It means he looked down. It's like, it's like looking down your nose at something. He thought it significant, insignificant. He thought it a small thing. He despised it, Okay? That's what Jesus did when he considered the shame of the cross. He thought down, he cataphroneoed about the shame. In other words, Jesus said this, the temporary cross is insignificant compared to the eternal joy on the other side. He thought to himself, the shame of the cross is bad, but I'm gonna think lightly of it. I'm gonna cataphroneo it. I'm, I'm thinking down, I'm despising it. It's just like, it's nothing compared to the eternal joy on the other side, right? That the weight on the other side, the huge, wonderful thing on the other side. All right, last thing for today, and it goes along with this. Look at this phrase in verse two. For the joy that was set before him. So Jesus thought lightly of the shame of the cross. He looked down, he despised the shame of the cross. And he could do that because of the immense joy that was on the other side of the cross. Now think about this. This is so good. Jesus is God, okay? Jesus is God. He's the eternal God. He is the all-sufficient God. God needs nothing. He doesn't need anything. There's nothing lacking in God. He has everything. And in eternity past, the triune God, Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Godhead, were perfectly happy in loving each other, Okay? There was no need for them to create. There was no need for the Godhead to create the universe, okay? All sufficient, has everything. But, the, but it says right here that on the other side of the cross, there was a joy that Jesus did not have. 
Okay? This blows me away. On the other side of the cross, there was a joy that Jesus did not have. And what was the joy waiting for Jesus on the other side of the cross? You know what it was? It was his people being forgiven. It was his people being forgiven. On, on, the, on that side of the cross, his people were not forgiven. Jesus had to die to forgive his people, right? And it was a joy to him. So the joy that was waiting for him, that the all-sufficient God, he did not have this joy, the joy of seeing all his people throughout history forgiven by God. And as a result of that forgiveness, being in a loving relationship with God for all eternity. This is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He ransomed us. And this was the joy waiting for him on the other side of the cross, okay? So Jesus gave up his life on the cross. Again, he's the high priest who laid down his own life as the perfect and final sacrifice to bring forgiveness so that we could be in a loving relationship with the triune God for all eternity. This was the joy waiting for Jesus. The joy was seeing us forgiven and saved. And this is really mind-blowing. Again, the all-sufficient God who needs nothing still, he wanted the joy of seeing us forgiven. And he was willing to suffer and die on a cross for the joy of seeing us forgiven. And get this, Jesus doesn't just forgive us and then leave us, right, and take off. The joy of forgiving us is, why does he get joy forgiving us? Because he wants us. He wants to be in relationship with us. You know, what the, you know what the joy is? The joy is you. The joy is me. The joy is he wants us. You see that? This is Jesus' joy. You're his joy. You're his joy. In, in John 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17, 24, Jesus said this. He said, Father, I desire, think about his prayer. He said, I desire that they also, talking about his people, they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I'll shorten it up. This is Jesus' heart cry. Father, my desire is that my people would be with me. That's his heart cry. What is Jesus' joy? Saving us, his people, seeing us forgiven, being with us. This is Jesus' joy. And this just blows me away. You're his joy. I'm his joy. Saving you, bringing you forgiveness, being with you. That's his desire and his joy. Christian, he loves you so much that he was willing to endure the cross. And on the other side, because on the other side was joy. You're his joy. So think about that this week. Marinate in that this week, that you are his joy. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus, I'm finishing up here. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, my prayer is that you're hearing him calling you right now. My prayer is that you hear his voice calling you now and that you'll understand honestly that he endured the shame of the cross for seeing the joy of you being forgiven that you will truly understand truly understand and truly believe that you are his joy and you'll be his joy for eternity amen amen let's pray our father and our god we love you and praise you lord thank you for your word Thank you for this passage from Hebrews 12. Thank you, uh, Father, for sending your son. I haven't even talked about that. Father, you sent your son to redeem a people who were in rebellion against you. I wouldn't do that, just being honest. And yet you did it because you love us. You sent your son. 
And Jesus, you endured the shame of the cross for the joy of seeing your people, the joy set before you. We praise you. I do pray my friends here would think about that this week, that we are your joy, Lord. You're the all-sufficient God, Jesus. And yet you endured the cross for the joy of us being with you, redeeming us, saving us, and us being with you forever. So we praise you. Help us, Lord, allow this to motivate us to live for you, to rejoice in who you are, to set aside weights and sins. Holy Spirit, reveal those to us. Help us to set those aside and run with endurance the race that you have set before us. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.